0: The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off-Center, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of government contracting. Amtower Off-Center with your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off-Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Uh, I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with a, uh, a, a guy who introduced many of the ideas that are now part of the technology marketing ecosystem. He evolved the ideas. Uh, he and his firm were instrumental in the launch of some of the most innovative products in the, in the computer age, um, including the first micro Processor from Intel, uh, the first personal computer with Apple. Uh, He worked with Genentech. Uh, uh, Lord, the list goes on. Lotus, Microsoft, National Semiconductor, Silicon Graphics, 3Com. Regis McKenna is an icon in Silicon Valley to the point where the San Jose Mercury News included him on the list of 100 people who made Silicon Valley what it is today. And it's arguable that uh, that you know he he helped make Silicon Valley. Period. Regis, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Mark. Good to be here.
0: Thanks for thanks for joining me. I mean, uh, we we've been swapping emails for a few weeks, and, and I'm <laughs> glad we could set it up. So, oh yeah, I I was doing some research, and for some reason, it stuck in my mind that Peter Drucker came up with the idea or the phrase that marketing is everything. And you know, I go through my my Drucker books, and I'm I'm thinking this is wrong. And uh, so I Google it, and an article pops up that I was not familiar with. I have three of your books on my shelf, not all five, but uh, but it, I, I didn't connect it with you. Marketing is everything. And it's an article you wrote in 1991 in uh, in the Harvard Business Journal, and it is as it, it resonates for me as much today as perhaps when you wrote it. Um, have you ever revisited that piece?
1: Oh, sure, many times, and, and it's brought up a lot in conversations and and you know talks that I give and so forth. Um, and and with all due respect to Peter Drucker, I. And I and I know him and knew him rather, um, and uh, and really respected him highly, and certainly have read all of his books. And uh, and uh, he was certainly a, a forward thinker, and a, he was much more than, than simply though uh, focused on, on marketing or specifically technology. He was uh, he was sort of a philosopher of business.
0: Yes, I I would agree with that. But here's one that I want you to think about or have somebody do for you. I have a book called The Daily Drucker, and I do look at it every day. I think there ought to be a Daily McKenna. So uh, (laughs) you've got enough stuff out there. You've got some of the greatest thoughts. I mean, delving into, uh, uh, you know, uh, knowledge-based marketing, experience-based marketing, evolving the concept of real-time marketing, uh, which really kind of laid the groundwork for, you know, Trout and Reese with positioning, if if it wasn't an outright borrow from you. Um, <laughs> there's there's a ton of stuff that, that you could do. Maybe I'll write it for you. Um.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm... I'm... You know, I'm getting, it's, it's getting harder and harder to, to write books.
0: No, get somebody to do it with you. There's a lot of ghosts out there, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, somehow or other, I, I you get stuck in that, but it ends up still being. But I like to do a lot of my own writing, and I like to do my own research. So, um, uh-huh. you know, I've can I found people who can support that effort. Um, you know, good editors, and good researchers, and so forth. Um but uh still and all I think you have to put
0: your hand on it. I and, uh, I I agree you know I, I have um, uh I've few books out myself and uh um I actually like to use Dragon uh naturally speaking when I'm writing cuz it gives me a lot of editable material quickly yeah. so yeah. so let's let's go to the HBJ article uh the the 1991 one how, how do you have any idea how many articles you wrote for them
1: uh, I think I wrote, uh, about four at that time. Okay. Uh, and, and that was, uh, that was, the, when, uh, Harvard Review was always a pretty, um, uh, inside journal. In other words, the, most of the articles in the older days were, were written by, you know, Harvard professors or people out of the East coast, big consulting firms, McKinsey and, and, uh, and places like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in came uh, Ted Levitt, and Ted Levitt became the editor of uh, HPR, and uh, he was uh, he had a, a fondness for the technology companies out here, and um, was uh, on uh, the advisory board of, uh, of an early uh, retail computing uh, company out here that I was a client of mine, and so I got to meet and talk with him and spend time with him, and. Um, and he's the one who asked me to uh to write some articles for him. um and the uh, uh in the person who was the uh managing engineer was um, um, his name was uh allen and uh, he he uh, uh he's the one who really i think uh, i worked with uh uh, over, over long periods of time to, to eke out these articles.
0: Okay. And, uh,
1: by yeah. the way, he's now the mayor of Albuquerque, I think.
0: <laughs> well, you know, there's a job change. Um, yeah. Uh, I, had, well, I had, He
1: founded. He founded. Uh, yeah, he founded. Uh, uh, Fast Company magazine.
0: Which you invested in?
1: Yes, and I invested in it. So I did well.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I I remember when Fast Company used to be about three-quarters of an inch thick, and probably half of that or more was ad space. So they must have been uh, doing extremely well back in the uh, mid to late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, well,
1: Fast Company was a new idea, and I think it's still doing very well. Um, And uh, But... uh, the original uh, investors came out of Harvard Business Review, and uh, they sold it, and, uh, and you know, went off and did other things, and um, that that's, you know, I think uh, that's uh, where it is today, but uh, back then, um, it, it, it focused a lot on startups and small companies, and they had workshops and seminars around the company, so they had turned the sort of a magazine into an experience uh, for the for the users in you know in the marketplace.
0: I remember the conferences, but uh, let's go back to that HBJ article. In the article you discussed both knowledge based marketing and experience based marketing, but you evolved that into a discussion of the new marketing uh, that wasn't marketing but but um, aimed at really getting the consumer involved how How you make that leap
1: uh well, one of the things I like to say is it's just like technology, nobody really makes these great leaps it's always incremental change um and uh you know and you do it increment you know several books before and um I'm a student of of, of everything. And uh, so reading broad ranges of, of books on business, on culture, on society, on changes in technology, and then be close to the technology, I've, I've been involved with, uh, you know, uh, personally involved in always at least, you know, half a dozen companies I sit on the board of, uh, a lot of them in uh, in uh, uh, enterprise marketing or enterprise software and things like that, which are sort of the, the infrastructure or the understructure for how the modern marketing has uh, has achieved. And so, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, spending lunches and meetings with uh, a lot of the the software engineers and the network engineers and so forth, um, you you come away with a feeling that, uh, oh, very early I came away with the idea that marketing is really driven by technology. And, uh, you know, that was true, Um, you know, the, the, the trains, in, in, you know, when the first railroads changed marketing, it was able to deliver goods to farm markets that uh, you couldn't do before. Uh, and, it, and it changed the location. It changed space because people could get their, their cattle to market through the train rather than driving across land and, and taking time. So the time shrunk just by the trains. And then you had, um, you know, certainly everybody is well aware of it, you know, uh, radio and television uh, brought consumers closer to getting direct messages from the producer, but it, it wasn't complete in that the producer really didn't have any feedback mechanism. And when you began to look at the nature of the technology, and I have worked with a lot of the basic internet companies uh, way back uh, when it before it even first started, um, I was doing we were doing work for a GPS company back in the in the uh, late 70s and early 80s. And uh, I was on the board at uh, BBN, which is a Boston-based company that was really involved in a lot of the uh, infrastructure for the Internet back before it started. And so you begin to realize that, you know, if if marketing started using the tools of today, just like they used television and radio before them, it's going to change the nature of time and space. Um, and, and, and that's essentially what it has done. Um, you know the, the best example I give is the bank. You know the bank when I was a kid was this building that had you know big stone pillars to show you how strong they were and secure. You could walk in and you all every always saw the vault in the back, the
0: giant know, thing, yeah, large,
1: giant <laughs> thing. And now the bank is your phone. It's your it's your computer screen. Um, there aren't these same symbols of of, of power and success of, and security and so forth, and so. It, it becomes much more tenuous in trying to figure out um, you know what is safe and what is secure and it's one of the issues that we have today with you know transactions on the internet because it doesn't give us the same information as walking down the street and seeing a building with big iron doors. Um, and, and so it, it's, it, but it is changing nonetheless. So the technologies which are continuing to evolve through incremental change. I mean, all of the semiconductor industry is incremental change. They don't make. We we think think of it as leaps and bounds, but that's rare. Uh, the first microprocessor took 11 years to bring to market. Uh, the first one was the um, the um, uh, the uh, uh, what was it called? Well, the first microprocessor was the 4-bit processor, the 4004, and the next one was the 8008, and it wasn't until the third or fourth generation that they, they, they found the personal computer market, or the personal computer market found them. And that that was from 1971 to 1983, there was no volume market for processors. So, um, and, and that was due not to Apple, by the way, but to IBM coming into the marketplace. Right, and so the
0: uh, IBM junior
1: Right. Well, before that, it was just the IBM PC.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. The the junior. Yeah, I'm sorry. Was and, for the consumer market.
1: Yeah. And when they when they first uh, built that machine, they decided IBM changed all the rules and said they got to get the market faster because they saw Apple. Apple had hit a hundred million, as I mentioned, and um, and IBM did not go into any marketplace unless it was a hundred million dollars in size, because it was they didn't think it was worth it. And so the, the hobbyist market did not look like a real market. It looked like a sort of scattered uh, helter-skelter kind
0: of marketplace, okay. let, so a bunch of hobbyists. Let me interrupt here a second. Hold that thought. We'll be yep. back right after this. You're listening right. to Amtower Off-Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. We shall return in a moment. Welcome back to Amtower Off-Center on federalnewsradio.com, 1500 AM. Regis, continue with that thought, please.
1: Well, uh, so the... You know the, the microprocessor. Um, literally, the people at Intel, Bob Noyce and and and, and um, uh, Gordon Moore and people. They, they had a lot of faith that this technology was going to produce something. And I, you know, I uh, you know I collect everything, and I have you know talks that they gave and things of that nature back in the in the uh, 70s, in which they talked about. Um, you know, being able to, to do uh, marvelous things with these chips. And uh, it was only that the technology has to sort of evolve. You have to have the process technologies become more and more sophisticated, able to handle more and more transistors on a chip, um, and put more transistors on a chip. And that created changes in the fundamental materials as well as, um, you know, uh, the, the tools to create um, the devices themselves. So those advances occurred over the same time that you're bringing products out and everything is sort of moving, you know, dozens and dozens of technologies move forward all at the same time. And then there's sort of the right time when they all start coming together and you produce a product that people hadn't seen before. But then the marketplace isn't always ready for it. So um, what are the, the, some of the first questions about the microprocessor is, what do we do with it? You know, uh, and I, I don't think people realize how how much change had to go on within the design community. You know, designers actually, you know, uh, sat at, at, at benches and and with component pickers, they would design on paper what they wanted to do in terms of circuitry, and then they would uh, prototype it on a circuit board. They usually had technicians that. Uh, they laid out the circuit board and put it together. Then they would test it, and they would go back and change it, and so forth. And it was a long process. Well, that all went away, and the microprocessor used microprogramming, so you could design your product by through software, and that made the microprocessor infinitely changeable. That was a radical, radical change, and it, and it took a lot of education of engineers.
0: Yeah, but let, let, in fact. Let's let's talk about that radical change in a slightly different way. In uh uh what was it, seventy six, uh Steve Jobs called uh Intel to find out who did their marketing. It happened to be you. He liked the ads you were doing for them and uh you you took marketing in a slightly different direction. You were doing uh uh advertisements not for the technical community but for the potential con- overall consumer. Community and you applied that to Apple early on. It, it, you know, you you were used to marketing technologies. You had been an editor at a publication before you left Pittsburgh. Is that correct? A tech pub? Right. Yeah. So yeah, um,
1: I was sort of a jack of all trades there. I was hired as sort of a a junior apprentice, and uh, and I learned the public was a small family owned technical publisher. They published four or five magazines, and uh, and they were very leading edge magazines. By the way, in the nineteen fifties, they had a magazine called Medical Electronic News, and, um, and and so you know I I worked there for a couple of years just learning the business, and um, and they sent me to the west coast so, uh, when I was quite young to open an office out here in California,
0: in Silicon Valley. What was then not yeah. Silicon Valley? No, it wasn't. <laughs> So. It was
1: actually mostly, uh, companies were mostly selling to, uh, you know, military. Uh, you know, Lockheed was here and some of the larger uh, there was some telecommunications company. There were vacuum tube companies here. When I came out, um, I tell McCullough to continue to make vacuum tubes. Uh, most of the, what we call semiconductor companies were making transistors. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, that was sort of state of the art at the time.
0: Cool. Um, but you know, let's, to, let's let's go back to that because you know, I, I I found a fast company article um, oddly enough that uh, talks about you and your notebooks. Uh, so you have right. these notebooks that go back probably since you at least since you started your company, maybe before. So, well, I had
1: notebooks before, but I mean, I kept notebooks since I think either late high school or and I know I kept them through college. But, um, you know, I didn't – when I started my company in 1970, uh, I largely started notebooks mainly to just keep track of the work. Uh, they weren't in, intended to be journals. They were intended to simply be notes on what I was encountering. And because I was working I, – I started working, I think, my first nine clients were semiconductor companies. And um, and uh, I had worked for the semiconductor company, too, actually – um, sort of at the time, revolutionary semiconductor companies, um, that,
0: um, you know,
1: I, I got the, and I knew what, how, I knew how they were made, I knew what they did, you know, I spent a lot of time, fortunately, with the bosses that I had, mm-hmm. um, they, they looked at the job that I had, which was a marketing services manager, as, uh, as much an external job than an internal job. So, uh, they, You know, uh, particularly Don Valentine, who ended up being the, uh, you know, the the venture firm of uh, Sequoia, Uh, uh, Don told me to get out in the the road. And so I've traveled, you know, around the world. I traveled out to countries. I met with customers. I met with salespeople. Uh, I mean, I got a real education simply by spending probably, you know, uh, at least uh, a week or two a month, uh, you know, traveling and not sitting in a desk. And that's not, wasn't, so that was a very unusual experience for the position that I had, but it, it was really due to people like Don Valentine. Um, and uh, and when I was at the company before that, which was uh, another semiconductor, they were the first MOS company, that really led to the development later on to the development of, um, uh, Solid-state memories and, and uh, the microprocessor. Um, yeah, I, I ran a, a a technical writing group. You know, mm-hmm. Writing proposals. Uh, it was largely to aerospace companies and um, um, no, that was it to the DoD and, and aerospace companies, trying to get contracts for you know semi-custom work. And um, I had to have a secret clearance, and so I got to, I had to read, you know, read the journals and read the, or read the, uh, the, the proposals and so forth. So I got to also know the business pretty well. And so I was really fortunate you know, to have a lot of learning experiences, and I I always enjoyed learning. And so uh, the, the business took me into so many different areas that were fascinating and was starting. So I was able to sort of get at the, the beginnings of things. Um, you know, when I first when started, with, semiconductors were made by hand-cutting the patterns on smilar. People stood at large light tables and was exactly nice and cut out the patterns. Um, you know, things were quite different back then when now you, you figure that they design patterns today that um, you can't even see through a microscope. You need an electron microscope to see them. Um you know, it, it, it's been significant changes over the years. And I've been sort of with companies and business the evolution in different parts of it, but along the way. So for me, my, you know, my 50-some years in this business has always been one long education.
0: Okay. We're going to take a break. Uh When we come back, I I want to go back over this period and and talk about how, Marketing has evolved with the technology and how you proselytize the leveraging of technology for marketing. You're listening to AM Tower Off Center on FederalNewsRadio.com and 1500 AM. I'll be back with Regis right after this. Welcome back to AM Tower Off Center on FederalNewsRadio.com and 1500 AM. I'm here with uh, Regis McKenna, uh, founder of Regis McKenna Inc um back in the uh, actually 1970 um right. so uh it, the 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 technologies that you were selling created something in your mind that said you should leverage the technologies to do the marketing what 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 was your thought here where what direction did you go in and how how did your marketing philosophy evolve
1: well, uh, again, I, I, I've talked to a lot of people, a lot of students in marketing, universities, and so forth. Is, is, uh, is for the minute you enter the technology business, you're entering a business that um, it, it's non-ending education. Um, you, you can't come out of school and say, "Okay, I'm equipped to get a job, and that's it." Um, you, you really have to keep up with the technology because um, it, it, it's changing so rapidly. Um, and you can just think about the, the technologies today that are, that are coming at us that are having impact on, on the market, on the consumer, and on marketing itself. Uh, the geographic expansion of the internet has brought, in the last uh, ten years, uh, you know, about four to five billion more people into the into the world of, of market possibility. Uh, social media itself, as we know, the turmoil that goes on there, and as the influence, the daily influence on markets, consumers, and producers as well. Uh, mobile smartphones. So you deliver the services to that little window in your in your phone, and you deliver it anywhere, anytime, anyplace. Uh, that means improvements in in you know, not only communication, but in the bandwidth that in, you know that allows you to do. We go from text to video to you know virtual reality. Uh, Intelligent apps that, uh, you know, gather information on you while you're gathering information on them. Uh, So it's simultaneously learning on on both the producer and the consumer. The Internet of Things is going to track everything from your automobile to your, you know, the utilities in your home and and so forth. Uh, And so you can do service type of activities or usage types of monitoring. The cloud enables you to access all those services anywhere, anytime, because it's now you know, it can become universal. So there's a, there's just a you know machine learning is going to add to it real-time decision-making systems that uh, you know you put in data or you're looking for searching something online, and it will it will search um, different databases across a network of of computers and pull the information back to you in less than a few seconds. That's, that's an enormous change for consumers because it's, it's actually making us impatient. And uh, if you, my book, A Real Time, the subtitle is Preparing for the Age of the Never Satisfied Consumer. And it's because we're so used to having this data and this answers and, and goods and services uh, flowing to us on a, on a regular basis and uh, and the, so we can change very quickly and i think that's one of the reasons we have such an uns, you know uh, you know an, well, the, the, the stable nature of our, our even our government and so forth is is tenuous at this point is because people want change quickly and uh they want to see things happen and so it uh it, it creates changes in all of our various institutions and uh institutions change slowly. They don't change fast, uh, but people do. And so uh, this tension between people who experience one sort of uh, world through the windows on their computer or their iPhone and the world in which, you know, larger institutions don't respond to it. And um, it, it's, um, except newer institutions, uh, you know, I think I would put near here um, you know Amazon and Google and people like that, who are who you know you know started their business in this world, this you know high speed, high tech, real time world. Um, but the older businesses weren't designed to do that, and they're gradually trying to catch up. So you know you see firms like Hewlett Packard, you know not a company that's been around Silicon Valley for 60 some years. And, and yet unable to really keep up with the newer changes in technology. And it wasn't that they didn't have the talented people, which was that the management you know didn't realize that the world was changing and so therefore didn't structure the company accordingly and and in um, and, and, and the products, the alliances and so forth necessary to get into that world. So as a result, you know the company was is dying. I mean, it's really dropping down on the list here. Of, of top companies in Silicon Valley. And um, so uh, I, I think that this is when you start thinking about marketing is everything. It's not just uh, a function. It's much like uh, we used to consider quality. The quality was everything. It, you know, it was in the way you design the products, the way you you know sell the products, the services you provide, the, the, you know, the way people answer their phones, the way people, you know, the way you you know, show yourself over the internet or you show yourself in terms of conferences. And so it, 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 everything you do is seen by the outside world as embodying who you are. And so you can't control that from a little function called marketing inside of a box, inside a company. Uh, they have very little responsibility outside of, you know, Running ads and getting press. The responsibilities to how do you change the culture of a company? How do you get everybody in the company to start thinking of a uh, customer oriented? Or how their culture can become come to bear on on creating change in the marketplace.
0: That, we, you you mentioned Thank Hewlett me. Packard, and and yeah. you know supposedly, and I think it's true, they were the original uh, garage based uh, Silicon Valley success story. But you, you worked with Steve, the pair of Steve's, in, in 76, and technically they, they were in Steve Jobs' parents' garage, but they were also in Waz's apartment and Steve's bedroom. But you helped create the myth of being the garage-based business. How important was that for the viral marketing aspect of where you saw Apple going?
1: Uh, You know, we really didn't use that at all, Um, uh, you know, the fact that they did that. And that didn't – I didn't even think – I quite honestly, don't even remember thinking about that. Uh, The fact was they came out with a computer, a personal computer. And um, I have to back up again and say the learning experience. When I was working with Intel, I was working with uh, a fellow named John Dewar. John is the managing partner of of, uh, Kleiner Perkins, Coughlin, and Byers, again – And John, uh, the product marketing manager at Intel. And this was in the 70s. And John uh, was uh, a gadgeteer. And he he was building, he was taking an Intel processor, the uh, 8080, I think it was, and putting it on a single board computer. And we got, he and I had planned to, we were bubble wrapping them, putting them in hobby stores and selling them as uh, Heath kits and build your own computer. So we weren't that far from that, and so I got to know the, the, the gadgetry world at that time, or if you will, the hobby world. Um, and then there were two companies that we used as uh, looking for uh, applications of the microprocessor for Intel. There were two companies uh, that were building uh, personal computers, or they weren't pretty called that. They were just hobby computers um, using the 8080 microprocessor. And so, um, you know, I, I had that experience. So when when Steve, uh, the Wozniak, came, they didn't come looking for ads. They didn't know anything about marketing. They had an article that they thought if they placed that article in Byte Magazine, they'd be able to sell the Apple II and uh, and maybe do a brochure. And so I actually told them, very um, limited thinking, I, I couldn't do anything for them um we, we laughed you know uh, and um and Steve Jobs kept calling me back so i met with steve and i outlined what a total marketing plan would look like and it would be uh you know it would involve a, a broader discussion than simply running an ad it would involve you know the the whole company in a whole different way of thinking about how you get into a market and how you grow it and how what kind of you know, a uh, culture you have to have to do that. Now, Steve bought into that big time. And that then, I said, then we're going to need money to to finance this. So I introduced him to him, my ex-boss from National, Don Valentine, who had started Sequoia Ventures. And um, and, and Don then led him to Markula, who uh, used to work for him at Fairchild. These were all related. And Markula came out of uh, Intel. And and Mark, uh, uh, guaranteed uh, a loan for them to buy money to build the Apple II, and uh, and then Don Valentine invested and, and other people invested, and that gave them enough money to then start this program. So we put it in a social context. Cause that's the, the, one of the things that I did, and that's what that article in uh, – um and uh, it wasn't Fast Company. It was uh, what was the the one that you just mentioned before and up uh, no uh, the article on uh, article on on the paper or the marketing plan that I wrote.
0: Uh, it's in my
1: notebook. It's about six to eight pages in my uh, notebook and it was in December of nineteen seventy six that I uh, wrote that marketing plan. Uh, but it it covers everything from distribution channels um, to third party software developers to um, you know getting a whole in together. Behind, behind the product, and not thinking about it as just a promotional. Because what do you promote? You have to promote a product that no one ever heard of before, that no one knows how to use, out there. So it's like uh, bringing something out, and people go, "What am I going to do with it?" That's the first question. What will I do with it? And if they're not going to buy it just to sit on a desk, and when they, if they do, they're going to be really disappointed because it takes a work. It takes work to use it. And and, and that's true with, I've introduced at least 15 first-time technologies, including Ethernet and and the first uh, commercial laser uh, for using supermarket checkout counters and things like that. You can't just put them on the market. You have to educate people about what that technology is all about and how it fits into their business or into their life. And so the first programs were always aimed at educating the marketplace.
0: Okay. We're going to take our uh, last break. You're listening to Amtower Off-Center on federalnewsradio.com in 1500 a.m. When we come back, we're going to discuss the impact of Web 2.0 on the marketing landscape. Welcome back to Amtower Off-Center on federalnewsradio.com, 1500 a.m. I'm here today with uh, Regis McKenna, uh, literally a... Uh, uh, People like to refer to, to to people who are instrumental as godfathers. In this case, I, I would actually say that that Regis McKenna qualifies as a father of modern technology marketing. Um, and and with that, let's let's go into the uh, uh, the impact of Web 2.0 tools on the the area of of tech marketing or marketing in general. So. Um, your, your thoughts on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, uh, all of the above. So take it wherever you want.
1: Well, uh, again, I look at the, um, the impact of what you don't see, and it's, it's really this vast, high-speed network. So what what Web2 uh, is, is going to do is increase, if you will, the ability to move more and different kinds of information faster uh, across a network. And to deliver it in in, in ways that we probably we haven't yet imagined, because we'll be applying things like um, virtual reality, which has yet to really find a, a way into you know common applications, but it is you know everybody's working on it. Um, and and, uh, and you know machine intelligence is getting becoming more more important. So the use of these sort of you know abstract terms that that come into them. Um, uh, blockchain and so forth are, are all uh, ways of, of creating um, vehicles for different sorts of, uh, or different expansions of the bandwidth and the use of that that additional bandwidth and speed to create services that inter- you can interact with almost immediately. So you know when we when you talk one to one. You can, you know, if you're a salesman in a, in a business and you go out and you meet with a customer, uh, you can see the customer's reaction. They can ask questions. You can ask questions. You know, you, you can actually see a smile or a nod or a, a frown, and you, you start to see, you know, it's real time. But doing that through the medium of, of networks and the medium of, of a screen of computers, you don't get that immediate experience. And and I think we're going to move to where that kind of experience is going to be possible when you buy something. You're going to be able to get, you know, the feedback that is much more humanized or much more like human, although it may be simulated, Uh, uh, and and that's really what we're going to see with Web2D. So it's, it's not there yet, but it's coming. And I think there are a wide range of technologies that are going to have, and um, that impact, um, I mean, just the Internet of Things, we, you know, we're talking about increasing the amount of, of uh, information, knowing it, maybe doubling the amount or tripling the amount or more, maybe, uh, when we start connecting uh, airplanes and automobiles and trains and, and boats and shipping the, the, uh, the, uh, cargo carriers and things of that nature and the information loaded with it across the internet, in, you know, and, and so that you could track your product wherever, whenever it is. And, and, you know, and it, it, it's, location, time and place. And that benefit to the producer, but it's in the, in the people that are, the the, 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 you know, the people that are marketing it, the products and so forth, but it also is going to reach down into the consumer who basically does its own work. And you think about it, um, the, I think FedEx does this the best. I used to say that, um, you know, when now I remember FedEx was a client of ours some years ago and, um, uh, you know, it was amazing when you, you know, they would, you would call up and they would tell you where's my package or how do I send a package here? Or you call up the order of the truck to come pick it up, those kinds of things, whatever the, whenever the, uh, you know, they put everything online and made it real time. Um, you track your own package. You just hit, you know, uh, I'm going to send a package and it's automatically fills out the, the, uh, the, the way bill and, um, and off you go. And you usually have a history of the people you've done it to. So you do all the work. And I think that's, if you think about it, that's what's going to happen in a lot of businesses, particularly consumer facing businesses is that the, the, uh, the customer's going to do the work and it's all going to be handled by a, a, a vast network of intelligent um, systems and and the the um, web point two is really just a, another incremental change in a component in that system it's it's still you know, beating the, the the demands of the of the future and uh, but there's a lot of technologies that are going to meet that and there's um, I mean when I start listening to them, I've got a couple pages of technologies that are going to, uh, to uh, be necessary to put into place to make that truly happen. But we can see that it's happening. I mean, I, I had a conversation recently about uh, you know uh, with somebody telling them what I thought the future of the iPhone was, and when you start adding um, virtual reality and AI uh, into the um, the iPhone, um, you're going to be able to actually experience the place. I mean, it's already, uh, in, in Marshall McLuhan's uh, uh, you know, world, the, the iPhone is, he used to say technology was an extension of the human. The iPhone has certainly become more than an extension. It's a part of people's lives. Uh, you can't leave home without it. And, uh, and, and so when you start adding this, this sort of experiential, um, uh, capability into the screen, and into the depths of the of the, the technology behind it. You you're going to see um, uh, you're going to get people even more engaged. I guess people are going to walk into more walls and out into traffic more than we ever thought.
0: <laughs> okay, um, when when I found out that that you were the originator of the phrase that uh, that I was searching on. I I went online to see uh, if I could find you, get in touch with you, and I leveraged LinkedIn, which is probably my favorite sandbox as far as web 2.0 social networking tool goes. Um, right, and you responded pretty quick. How 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 often do you do you use LinkedIn? Do you use Facebook? Are you on Twitter?
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't actually use Twitter very much. I I read Twitter, but I don't use it. Um, I don't think I've sent three tweets in my whole life, Um, and uh, I don't think I can say anything in the limited number of words (laughs) that uh, that you're required. But um, I do use uh, LinkedIn because it uh, it has a multiple purpose. I sit on boards. You're looking for uh, with companies. You're looking for people, or you. uh, just about everybody is on there, and it's a, it's a pretty it, – so far it hasn't been tainted with a lot of the problems that we've seen uh, with Facebook. Um, I think Facebook, it's uh, it's the problem of the noise level of uh, of the junk mail that you get or the junk notices that you get that um, I've actually uh, don't use it as much as I used to. I also uh, used to use it to uh, sort of keep in touch with my kids and my grandkids they don't use it anymore. They use uh, <laughs> my grandkids. You know, they they, they they tell me that's all that. We don't use that anymore. You know, um, so, uh, you know, they, they, they use whatever the newest uh, tool is. And, um, uh, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, the, the people who use the, the average age of people now using, uh, let's say, Facebook is, I think, 35 to 45.
0: I would have guessed and, uh, higher,
1: but... <laughs> yeah, it, and it may be. I mean, I think that's the last numbers I read, but it, it's, uh, you know, the younger generations have stopped using it. They're using, uh, um, you know, some of the current ones. I don't come to mind right now, but cause I don't use
0: them. There's too many. Um, I, yeah. Same thing. I, I got on to monitor my son, and he has, you know, he's now 21. He hasn't been using it for five years.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. uh, but, you know, I think that to future marketeers, and I, and I there's a number of people that I, you know, sort of uh, people ask me to sort of talk to their, their kids that are in school and, and to talk about, you know, entering into the world of technology or the world of marketing. And uh, I, I think you have to learn more about uh, information technology. Uh, but I also think you have to, I mean, I, I never really read my many business books. Uh, I, I, you know, I've read some of the, the classics, you know, the Peter Druckers and, and, and Ted Levitts and people like that, whom I had high regard for. And, and I've actually read a lot of the, the history of, uh,
0: uh, you know, I, I read
1: a lot of books uh, from the twenties and thirties when marketing really, um, uh, the term marketing became uh, a term back in the twenties. So, um, you know, if, if you read the books back then, you see that marketing was really—if uh, you studied marketing, you really studied about things like the economics, and you studied logistics, and you studied—you uh, 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 know—more uh, about the operational aspects of the business. And it was much more of a kind of business activity, and so the, that's when people started using, for example, the use of, of consumer credit was to actually stimulate sales because you used to have to save your money to then buy it. you would buy a you know new carpet or new, new furniture or so forth. And, uh, consumer credit uh, enabled people to buy things with paying ten dollars a month you know back in the in the 20s and thirties. and there was a retail store in Pittsburgh called Coffins, and they were the first one to initiate that. So you start seeing good marketing was much more rejected in the sense that it became part of the, the economics of getting market, products to market and getting your business into the marketplace and using, you know, whether, you know, Parker and Gamble were the first ones to buy a fleet of cars for the salesman to take them out into the country. Uh, Sears Roebuck mailing of catalogs to expand their markets. These are new things at the time that, that changed the nature of marketing. And uh, you know, I was talking to the, a logistics person at Apple, and he was using uh, Sears catalog as an example of you know of how they you know look at moving information and gathering information from the marketplace and getting information and getting feedback. It's still sort of the fundamental models from which we've built all of this infrastructure on. And look at the new technologies. Read everything you can about. Emerging technology. You don't have to know how to do it. You have to know the business of it, and you have to know the influence of it on our society. And, and that takes a broad range of, uh, a broad lexicon of reading. I mean, I, I do have thousands of books, and I read everything that I can get my hands on on everything. And, and it just help, helps to enable you to think about things from a holistic viewpoint and from just looking at it through uh, one functional program.
0: Well, that's a great way to wrap up and I wanna tell the listeners that uh if you Google Regis McKenna uh on the front page of your Google results, you're going to find the HBJ article, Marketing is everything. I strongly suggest you read that. Regis's books are still impactful even though they may not be the newest books on the topic. The the real time marketing, the uh uh the Regis effect. Uh, or excuse me, the Regis Touch uh, first book is still a fascinating read, full of lots of stuff. Regis, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: You're welcome, Mark. I enjoyed it very much.
0: If you want to come back on, let me know. <laughs> okay. There's lots to talk <laughs> I'll, about.
1: I'll I'll leave that up to you. Okay.
0: Uh, This is not my day job. If you need help marketing uh, uh, to the government, if you need help with your marketing plans, especially if you need help building a subject matter expert platform or leveraging LinkedIn, drop me a line at mark at federaldirect.net. And thank you very much for listening to Amtower Off-Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off-Center, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com. tower Off-Center, only on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com.
1: Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online at DiscountTire.com. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of.